coming soon to own on video and DVD. Right, it's Disflix and Tidbits, the Disney podcast about Disney movies from the past, present, and coming soon, and all the little extras in between. I'm your one and only host, Cassie, sporting my own Quantum Realm suit, and today is March 20th, episode 16, Dark Era Villains. Happy late St. Patrick's Day! As you know, St. Patrick's Day was on Sunday this year. I just have been so busy I didn't even realize it was St. Patrick's Day until the day before. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, I didn't really participate in any St. Patrick's Day shenanigans at all this year, but uh, I saw from Twitter many people did. I saw a couple groups do an Epcot crawl at Walt Disney World or dressed in all green featuring like green Disney characters. Yeah, it it looked like you all had a bunch of fun. I just went to work, so... (laughs) Um... So, did you wear a character for St. Patrick's Day, like a green character, or did you just wear a standard green piece of clothing or a designated St. Patty's Day shirt? Let me know what you guys did for St. Patrick's Day. And since this is Disflix and it's all about movies, I gotta recommend two Disney movies, albeit a little late, but still good movies to sit home and watch. And those are Darby O'Gill and The Little People, which is one of them. It's a film from 1959, and it's about leprechauns. <laughs> it's about an unemployed father, Darby O'Gill, and he falls into a portal to the land of leprechauns, and he kind of unexpectedly takes the king of leprechauns home with him, and weird things start to happen. <laughs> Just remember, it's from 1959, so it, it will be kind of absurd. Uh, Also, I cannot forget the Disney Channel original movie, The Luck of the Irish, which is about a teenager who doesn't know his family are leprechauns and must protect a gold charm in order for them to pass as humans. (laughs) Uh, They are both weirdly absurd and great, so... Even though it's not St. Patrick's Day anymore, you can still just like pop these in or download these or rent these and just have some good old-fashioned Disney movie fun. In podcast news, the I Need a Hero tournament that I have going on on Twitter is still going strong. Uh, By the time this airs, the second round will be over and there will be polls for the Sweet 16 going on right now. There was actually a lot of upsets and broke a lot of brackets. I'm keeping track of all the brackets right now. I'm keeping track of the points and who got eliminated and a lot of people's champions got defeated like in the first round and I feel so bad for them but it's just it just goes to show you how this Twitter votes in these kind of things. You just never know what's going to happen. And now I'm just really curious who's going to be the ultimate Disney hero champion because mine just got kicked out yesterday. (laughs) And that was surprising to me. Uh, I just did a bracket just for fun, but he got kicked out. Uh, I'll show you my bracket later on on Twitter to show you who I picked. But yeah, he's not there anymore. (laughs) Also, excited to say that I will be a guest on another podcast here pretty soon. 
I will probably push it through all my social media accounts when it does come out, but I didn't want to spoil anything because the podcast that I'm on did not say anything about it, so I'm just going to let them introduce it themselves because it is their podcast, so... Uh, by next week, I will tell you which podcast I'm on, but it was actually really fun and I'm looking forward to hearing it and I'm looking forward to you guys hearing it because I will share it. I also do have many guests that will appear on here in the future episodes in the next coming weeks, actually, and I'm, I'm actually looking for more guests in April. Uh, March is pretty booked up right now. Uh, this is for my Once I Watched a Disney series that I've posted uh, before, and I'm usually trying to publish them on Saturdays now. Uh, the last one didn't go on Saturday, Saturdays, but they will be going on Saturdays from here on out. So if you're interested in trying to get on to the ones I watched at Disney, which is my designated guest series, uh, look back in the archive, look at the three other ones that I've posted before, and see if you want to join in. And yeah, just send me an email my way at disflixandtidbits at gmail.com and I can send you a short list of movies for you to pick from. So, let's get on to the news. As of 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, that is Wednesday, March 20th, the Walt Disney Company officially owns 21st Century Fox businesses and franchises from a deal that has been going on in the media for more than a year. It's probably been going on more than that, but what the media has told us, this is how long it's been going on for us. Um, part of this deal, the Walt Disney Company would own the film production businesses like, like Fox Searchlight Pictures, Fox Animation, and a couple more of those companies. The, also, the Fox television units like FX Productions and Fox 21, Fox Networks like National Geograph Geographics, and Fox's other interests, which include Hulu. So they will, both Disney and Fox's combined parts into Hulu, they now completely own Hulu or have stock into Hulu. Um, they also have Tata Sky and Animal Shine Group. This will be a big change in the next couple, couple years on the business side of things. I don't think as viewers and fans we'll see much of a difference for a long time, with Iger previously saying that Disney movies that we think of, the wholesome family content, will stay under Disney while all the edgier content, the rated R, all the action films and everything will still be under the, the label like Fox and other companies. So I don't think we'll see a change. So on to Disney Animation Studio news. A new Wisdom collection has been released on the Shop Disney website and the Disney stores. If you don't know what the Wisdom collection is, it is a collection of items released each month, usually around this time during the month showcasing a classic Disney animated film with a quote, a plush, pins, coffee mug, t-shirt, journal, and poster. Uh, usually you can get them in a pack, I think packs of four, so you get the, like, the plush, the, the coffee mug, let's see, the pins, and the plush. Um, correct me if I'm wrong if you have done this before, it's just like the 2018's Mickey Memories collection. Um, I, I thought you got them in, in a pack, but maybe you buy them separately. You can, you can only buy them separately on the website. I don't know about the stores. I am not near one. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But anyway, March Wisdom's movie is The Jungle Book, and the color scheme is like a jungle green, a teal, and a yellow. And the quote is, forget about your worries and your strife from the Bear Necessities, who is sung, which is sung by Baloo the Bear. Uh, the plush is, of course, Baloo with the quote on his belly. And the pins come in a pack of three. This one has Bagheera, Baloo, and a frame with the quote on it. The coffee mug, journal, t-shirt, and poster all have the same artwork, color scheme, and quote on them. So they're not all different. And it looks like for April, the color scheme is pink, showcasing Winnie the Pooh, but Piglet is the highlighted plush animal here, and the quote is from Christopher Robin. So I'm not really interested in these past ones. I I did like the Mushu one from from February. It was a Milan-themed collection. Uh, It was red and gold in there. Uh, This one, not so much. I did like the color scheme, but I don't really like the quote from that movie. They could have picked a better one. And I don't like the next one. It's, I'm not a Piglet fan, and the, the overall pink color scheme is kind of too bright for me, but I I'm do look forward to the Aladdin one, which I know is coming soon. Like, I think it's October, though, but but yeah, are you interested in any of these collections? Let me know. Uh, in Disney Live Action News, as of yesterday, March 19th, you are now able to own Mary Poppins Returns on DVD, and also Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD, or you can just rent it. <laughs> it's available f- to you now. Um, it is a great movie. Maybe... Have a movie night weekend and watch The Luck of the Irish and and Mary Poppins Returns. (laughs) Uh, Dumbo is the next live action remake to come out on March 29th, but there has been some early screenings for the media earlier last week, and we are starting to hear about the first reactions on social media. Uh, The consensus seems to be fairly positive, with a few negatives here and there, but I won't say what exactly the critics have been saying, uh, just to keep keep those who listen to Disflix not to be influenced by their their, um, comments. Um, So if you want to go watch it, just go watch it. I won't spoil it. Um, Usually I do a movie review after I go see it. Um, I'm pretty late on the Captain Marvel, but usually I have it separate. Usually the... The review is separate in a separate episode, so if you don't want to hear it, you don't have to hear it. (laughs) In a little bit of surprising news during press events for Dumbo, co-producer of Tron Legacy Justin Springer was asked if there will ever be a Tron 3. He is skirted around actually saying yes or no, but the TLDR of it is that he would like to and there is some interest. So, maybe? (laughs) There was also talk that if there is enough fans clamoring for the film, there is more of a possibility of it happening since that's how Tron Legacy was made. There was a lot of people that wanted that film and boom, it came out. I don't know about today because a lot of fans want a lot of things nowadays. (laughs) In Marvel news, and there's a lot of Marvel news, on March 14th we got another Avengers Endgame trailer and oh boy, there's a lot to unpack here. The trailers open, the trailer opens up to past scenes from other films with a black and white and pops of red type of flashbacks going on. Um, There's a Tony Stark voiceover, but most notably, there is a Peggy Carter voiceover 
with these past events, and she says, The world has changed. None of us can go back. And all we can do is our best. And sometimes the best we can do is to start over. Uh, it's a very mysterious and ominous quote to put in that trailer, especially with all the past events and the present events all intermingled there. But what we need to take note of that, it was said somewhere from the Marvel's head that all the promotional trailers will only use footage for, from the first 15 minutes of the film. Which I don't think is true after watching this trailer. <laughs> Most notably from watching Black Widow, whose hair changes more than anyone else in the franchise, if you continue watching her, there's some scenes where she has short blonde hair from Infinity War, and in other scenes, her hair's grown out into the red hair color that we originally know her from with blonde ends, and it's really long, it's like past her shoulders, and then we have Tony Stark and Nebula coming back to Earth and meeting with Captain Marvel. There's just a lot of time and events that seem to pass for just the first 15 minutes of this film. <laughs> And, and then there's the Peggy Carter quote along with that. And with everyone calling those suits that they wear towards the end of the trailer quantum realm suits, it just makes me think that there's time travel taking place, like I, I previously said in another episode when I was talking about theories. So there's just a lot of things going on. Like if they're only using fi the first 15 minutes, then how is Black Widow's hair growing that much? How How like with Captain Marvel coming back and then um, Ant-Man's there and Tony Stark and Nebula's there. What is going on in the first 15 minutes? <laughs> anyway, I'll stop right there before I go on a rant. Uh, just let me know what you think of this trailer. Do you have any theories of what might happen now? <laughs> Along with the Avengers Endgame trailer, we got a good look at the poster showing everyone who's left over from the great snapping. As usual, all the n names of the actors and actresses are shown on the top in order of top billing, which usually means RDJ is on the top billing to the top left and Bradley Cooper is on the far right because he's only voice act. But fans quickly noticed one name was missing from the top of the, the, the poster, Danae Guerrera, I hope I'm saying her last name right, <laughs> uh, who plays General Okwai. They, a lot of people were quick to retweet and, and tweet at Marvel for this mistake, and the studio actually acted very quickly and went to Twitter, fixing the omission and putting Guerrero's name right back where it should be. So I thought that was cool. They, they do listen to their fans, and they do make up their mistakes like that. This may not be important news from the Marvel Company, it's not actually for the, from the Marvel Company, but something I thought that was really interesting and wanted to share with you guys. Do you think you can watch the entirety of the MC mov movies in one sitting? Well, thanks to cable TV, they are offering anyone who is willing to, to sit through all of the 20 MC movies back to back. And in return, you get paid $1,000 and a ton of MCU swag like Captain America, Popcorn Popper, all the popcorn you can want, an Infinity Gauntlet mug, an Iron Man Snuggie, because who doesn't want one of those? $100 in Grubhub gift cards, and a lot more they said that they promise. Uh, there are rules, of course. They are asking, they're asking for someone who is active on social media and to live tweet the entire experience. And I will leave a link to the peculiar job offering in the show notes below uh, if you are interested in doing that. Uh, in really surprising news, James Gunn was rehired by Marvel to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. 
James Gunn, as you know, was fired last year from Marvel due to inappropriate tweets from years ago that resurfaced and sparked outrage online. It is just a really surprising turn of events for Disney to backtrack and rehire him after all that they went through last year in in all of the outrage and of course the type of climate that we're living in where there is no second chances anymore. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's really true but in, in cases like this they don't seem to give people second chances. There was so much reception from this news story that people were going back and forth. A lot of people were like yes we get James Gunn back. A lot of people were like no what are you doing Disney? Um, and then there was people that were they just wanted to create more uh, anger on social media, especially on Twitter, where someone was asking if Disney could rehire Gunn, they could rehire Lasseter, which really aren't, it really isn't the same thing, and the question doesn't make much sense to compare those two. Lasseter, as you know, was let go from Pixar for claims of inappropriate touching, kissing, and comments. I mean, that's completely different than a really bad joke on Twitter that someone has already apologized for. <laughs> uh, I could go on and on about the situation, um, about how how this is incredibly different, like Lassiter's stuff is incredibly different than what James Gunn did. But I'm going to pass the question off to you. Do you think this was a good choice seeing James Gunn take back control of Guardians again so there won't be any change? Or is it a bad choice that they should have stood their ground and got someone else? Also, I gotta say, as of yesterday, March 19th, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is now available on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD. You can now rent it if you like. Please go watch this film. You won't regret it. And if you're still on the fence, I do have a movie review of the film. Just look in the past archives. You will see it. You will want to hear it. And you will want to buy it. <laughs> In Star Wars news, Oscar Isaac, the actor who portrays Poe Dameron in the new Star Wars trilogy, went on Sirius XM's Tell Me Everything to discuss what possibly could happen in Episode 9. <laughs> Isaac had said that there will be more bonding between his character Poe and Leia, who was portrayed by uh, the late Carrie Fisher. He said he remembers finally working alongside her a lot, and since this movie will be the final time we see Carrie Fisher... And um, her acting as Leia Organa, it's certainly going to be very memorable and tell us Leia's, Leia's final story. It's not much news, but we don't really have any Star Wars news lately. And I just thought this was a little sweet news article to um, highlight for this week. <laughs> Um, in Disney Plus news, another series by Marvel for the Disney Plus streaming service has been reported, and it sounds like a really fun one. The basis of this series will be a what-if circumstance of the MCU, just like how comics explore alternate universes. Except it will be animated, for one. And the what-if type of scenario would be like uh, an example they used in an article I read is what if Loki found the hammer of Thor the series will explore these one-shot premises using the existing MCU movies as fodder to any what-if scenarios and I'm actually 
quite excited for the these. It's more like fan fiction come to life, except for all the unneeded sexual adventures that fan fiction tends to go on. But like to go down an alternate road of any of the MC characters' actions throughout all those twenty movies is actually quite interesting. Like. What if Peter Quill didn't leave Earth? Or what if Quicksilver didn't die? It could go on and on and on, and they have a lot of episodes that they can work on with with all these just what-if scenarios that they can use, because there's a lot, and there's a lot of questions a lot of people ask that they could use, too. They didn't have any more information other than that, because it's still in the works, but... I was just curious, like, are the original actors going to come back to voice these one-shot stories, or are the stories even going to involve the original cast? And since it's animated, Marvel definitely has a lot of freedom to do as many different stories as they want and can get weird and wild as they want, which is why I'm excited for it, definitely. Sorry, I'm losing my voice slowly here. (laughs) There's a lot of news this week. In DCOM news, a Descendants 3 trailer dropped on March 15th. Well, I, I kind of call it a teaser. It was under a minute long. Um, it's starring Maul, who is the daughter of Maleficent, with Prince Ben, the son of Belle and Beast, until she goes into what I'm guessing is the Shadow Realm. And she looks like she's alone and everybody... Well, Ben only turns into stone. And I- I'm have a feeling that this is produced by Dr. Facilier, who appears in this film this time, and Dr. Facilier will be, will have a daughter in this film as well. There's still no date for this movie release, except that it will drop this summer. So that's it for the news for the week. Tell me what you think of any of these news stories that I've covered for the past week. Did I forget a news story you would like me to cover? Let me know. Uh, we had trailers this past week. Did you have a favorite one? What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? I will definitely make room for any comment you might have in the next episode. Just email me at disflixandtidbits at gmail.com. And like always, I link all of the stories that I discussed in the show notes below. So we will be right back with the topic. So for today's topic, I wanted to go back to a topic that I have done before, more of like a continuation on a topic that I keep going on and on about, and that is the villains of the Disney Animation Universe. Before, I had What is a Villain, where I talked about the villains from the Golden Age and the Silver Age of the Disney Animation history, and then I kind of went forward and I had a guest on, Josh, from the Dis Noise podcast to talk about the remakes of villains, which were the live-action remakes and the villains that were portrayed in them, and to see if they were better or worse than their original counterpart. Then I had another guest on who was Kristen from And Stuff Like That, where we talked about the Renaissance Age villains there, and we came up with the most terrifying villain of them all there. So I wanted to continue on with my villain talk and compare the villains against each other with the Dark Era villains. Now, the Dark Era is during the 1970s through the late 1980s, where the Disney Animation Studios were kind of at their lowest point. 
after just losing Walt Disney, they kind of struggled to find their footing again, I guess you could say. And so you would see a lot of animation repeats or rehashing the animation from past films. Like uh, Robin Hood is a good example of this where they use several different films from the past to rehash the animation for this film. Not saying that this film is bad in any way, but for instance, the scene in Robin Hood where they're celebrating uh, Maid Marian when she's dancing, it's a rehash animation from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. There's also uh, Little John who who looks exactly like Baloo where she's he's dancing with uh Miss Cluck, I forget her name, I apologize, where he's dancing with the chicken lady. Uh it's a rehash dance from the jungle book where he's dancing with an orangutan. There's a lot of rehashing in that film because they didn't have the budget at the time, they felt lost and it just saved a lot of money and time in that aspect. So with these dark era films, they weren't very popular, save for Robin Hood, they have a cult following. <laughs> They're not the most popular films in the Walt Disney catalog, and once I name them off and tell you about the villains, you'll understand why they kind of escaped your mind. They weren't very notable films. Uh, that's why it's called the Dark Era, because of this fact. It's it's also called the Bronze Era, the Restoration Era. It, it's just Walt Disney at its lowest for the time. In my opinion, I feel like Disney Animation Studios had another low, and that's after the Renaissance Era, which I've talked with guests about several times in the past. And you could say that the, these two eras that they had a low point is like they're experimental eras. The second dark era, the the post-Renaissance era, it, it went through so many exper- experiments and low box office sales and low critic critiques that it didn't even warrant a actual name of their era. It's just called the post-Renaissance era. So these are like transitional eras for Disney Animation Studios where something good happens and they're like on a good stride and then something bad happens. You you know the deal. So with every high, there has to be a low. And unfortunately, this is the first low that, that Disney goes through. And the characters also suffer for this as well, along with the villains. So let's go through the dark era villains and see how bad they actually are. The first movie of the dark era in the Disney movie catalog is The Aristocats that came out in 1970s. Now, The Aristocrats, to refresh your memory, is about a white cat named Duchess and her three kittens, Marie, Berlos, and Toulouse. They all live in Paris, and they belong to a retired opera singer called... Madame Adelaide Bonafemi. I cannot say her last name. I apologize. <laughs> they also live with the butler, Edgar Belsazar, who is the villain of this film. He becomes a villain because Madame Adelaide is discussing with her lawyer of 
what her where her fortune goes after she passes on and she gives it to the cats instead of Edgar who has been her butler for many many years and calls him fateful Edgar in her will it says that he must take care of the cats until they die and then he can retrieve the fortune so Edgar being as greedy as he is and thinks that he deserves much more than just taking care of cats until they die especially now that Duchess has kittens and will have to wait another several years until they die until he gets what he believes is his payday for looking after this old bra this whole time <laughs> he enacts a plan where he kidnaps and tosses these cats over a bridge I mean <laughs> that's pretty bad he he does the old horrible trope of putting cats in a bag and throwing them in the river of course they don't die and they go on to go through so many different weird things where they meet some jazz cats in an alley and they sing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. And for a villain, let's go back to Edgar Balbazar. Edgar is, let's see, he he looks like he has seen some better days, let's be honest. <laughs> he has this big pot belly and he, he thinks that he is a good butler, that he deserves something. So he becomes so greedy and disloyal in just a second be once money gets put into the picture. Uh, on the villain scale, he's rather low if you think about it. Not saying that he is not evil at all. He is very evil for thinking that cats should be in the way <laughs> that he has to try to kill them, which is horrible. It, it really is horrible that he would even consider doing it. And he does, which it gets, which gets fumbled in the end and he doesn't enact his plan. So it's just... It's just poor thinking on his part because what what kind of contract would actually go through with exchanging money to animals who can't own a bank account? So how could they open it? So I don't know the logistics of it, but you would think that he would have the ownership of the money as soon as Madame... Adelaide passes on because you have to have someone in charge of that money, not cats who can't say words or give any orders. So he would have to be in charge of it. Or is it the act of being a good Samaritan in order to cash in that money? Like, who's going to actually, like, who from the bank is actually going to check up on these cats to see if they're still alive or not? Why won't they just give it to Edgar anyway? Uh, regardless of the fact, I'm thinking way too much into it. There's Edgar, the first villain of the Dark Era movies. He's not ranked yet, so let's compare him to the next villain. The next film is, of course, Robin Hood that came out in 1973 about the legend of Robin Hood. But it, t it has a little twist on this one where everything, every character is anthropomorphic animals, meaning that these animals walk and talk like humans, just like Zootopia, think that. Robin Hood is played by a fox, Little John is played by a bear who looks exactly and sounds like 
Baloo the bear from Jungle Book. Let's see, Maid Marian is a fox too. And our villain here is Prince John, who is nicknamed PJ (laughs) by the commoners. (laughs) And PJ, who is the little brother of King Richard, who he sends on a fake mission so he can... Uh, rule the countryside. That's how he becomes a king, sort of, in his brother's absence, but everybody keeps calling him Prince John or PJ. So PJ is a depicted as a lion here, and so is his brother, but he does not have a mane. He is a very goofy villain, thing Captain Hook, where he's like kind of a bumbling oaf and you kind of want to make fun of him the entire movie because the crown that he wears is way too big for his head. He tries to straighten out his ears to wear it, but it still falls down. He has mommy issues, so he continues to suck his thumb whenever his mother gets brought up, and he's like, mommy, and like, and he holds his ear like a little kid habit, and he always has to have his like right-hand man, Sir Hiss, who is a snake, who looks exactly like Ka from Jungle Book, to snap him out of it. Yeah, and he has like the weirdest laugh, which will stick with you for the rest of the day when you hear it, and he's like... Aha! Aha! (laughs) I probably did it incredibly bad, but I love his laugh. He has the best laugh. But he is a villain because he tries to fake being a king by sending his brother away to a crusade and probably in hopes to kill him or something so he he can be the new monarch. He is very greedy because throughout the whole film, he tries to raise the taxes on the people where at one point it gets so bad that he starts locking up the people from Nottingham, which this is where it all takes place. Nottingham in the Sherwood Forest, which is part of the the Robin Hood legend, which I thought was kind of weird because when the movie starts up, Prince John and Hiss are coming into Nottingham to stay and he stays there the whole time and just basically taxes these people until they're put into jail. (laughs) Also, Maid Marian is supposed to be Prince John's niece and I don't know how that works. Like I said, Maid Marian is a fox and he is a lion so I don't know how that is supposed to work. Wouldn't they all just be foxes? But Prince John is like, I mean, he's literally a baby in this movie. He he goes and orders people around. That's as far as he can he can do anything. He is in a in a seat of power. So he does have the ability to do things as long as people as people abide by his orders, which As the movie goes on, people start to make fun of him, even his lackeys like the Sheriff of Nottingham and Sir Hiss. They start singing the Phony King of England, which the villagers start singing, and it's just making fun of Prince John here. And this is where, before he taxes everyone to almost death, is when he first hears that song. He's like, nope, I'm taxing everyone. And he's kind of evil in position. He only orders people around. So unfortunately, he has to go under Edgar in the ranking of these villains for the Dark Era because Edgar straight up puts cats in a bag and throws them into the river. It doesn't work, but he still had that mentality to be like, yeah, I need to do this. I need to kill these cats in order to get my fortune. If 
Prince John was not in a seat of power and he didn't trick his brother into going to these crusades, he wouldn't have the ability to do any of what he did. He tries to execute Robin Hood, but then again, that's just the executioner doing it by his orders. So I don't think he has like any kind of backbone to do anything. He just wants to have money. So that's why he goes under Edgar. The next film here is The Rescuers. So as you may have notice. I I didn't purposely miss the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. If you refer back to Making of a Villain Part 1 where I talk about the Golden Age and the Silver Age, uh, I made rules for this villain ranking sort of is that I didn't want the wartime era which were like all packaged film villains or are villains that really didn't exist, and the villain in many adventures of Winnie the Pooh are the Heffalumps and Woozles, which are just a figment of Tigger's imagination. So they they aren't real, they don't really do anything bad, they just find out later that they don't really exist. It's just a name for a antagonist <laughs> in, the f- in the film, which doesn't exist. So that's why The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is not on this list. So that's why we're moving on to The Rescuers. So The Rescuers is from 1977. It is about this small little mice gathering called the Rescue Aid Society, which has our protagonist, uh, Miss Bianca, and a janitor who becomes part of the Rescue Aid Society by Bianca Bernard. Uh, They're there to help and protect children, I believe. And they got a message in a bottle from a kid named Penny who needs help. And so that's why Bernard and Miss Bianca go on um, to help Penny. The, The villain in here, of course, is Madame Medusa, who is this red-haired, uh, blue eyeshadow looking woman that like, has let herself go and who kind of looks like Corella DeVille um, in the face. She has like this crazy face that kind of reminds me of Corella DeVille. Madame Medusa is like a seedy pawn shop owner from New York City, but this uh, film takes place in the bayou. Here we see another villain that is very greedy and obsessed person, just like the past two. Edgar was greedy, and so was Prince John, and we have another greedy person here, and not for money, but for a certain diamond called the Devil's Eye. Now, the reason Penny is involved is because the Devil's Eye is like in this dark cave that only basically children or somebody with a smaller statue can get in, not Madame Medusa. She is kind of like pear-shaped in a way. She has like these long skinny arms, but she has like a booty. (laughs) She takes me as like a person that doesn't want to get her hands dirty but she's greedy enough to get as far as getting it down to the bayou to get through the devil's eye. I feel like she at least tried to get it, especially using her henchman uh, Snoops in there. She uses Penny, who is an orphan, who she steals from an orphanage to get the devil's eyed for her because she's so greedy and obsessed with the fact that this diamond could be something that could make her rich. And she probably hasn't thought beyond getting this diamond. She just wants to possess it. 
though it makes her crazy and she becomes a very scary villain. I don't know if it's because of her color palette where it's like all red. She's wearing that red nighty type of thing. She has like red hair. The The animation here is very rough. It reminds me of the rough nature of the animation of Sword in the Stone. Uh, you can still see pencil lines and everything, but Madame Medusa is just so similar to Cruella de Vil, and I think she was based off of Cruella de Vil. Um, I haven't looked much into the backstory of this film. I believe she was based off Cruella de Vil, or was supposed to be Cruella de Vil at one point, and that's where she gets that crazy-looking nature about her. So she is a very scary villain, if you think about it. Scarier than the past two villains that I talked about. She is willing to, like, water ski on alligators or crocodiles at one point. I, I want to say she is downright evil, like, close to Cruella de Vil, because at one point she kind of snaps and tells Penny that she won't leave the cave until she finds the devil's eye, and she doesn't care at all what happens to her. Elise Snoops was a little bit more caring and brought her back up, but at one, like at this point, she's just like, I want that eye, so you need to stay down there until you find it. And, and that's when the Rescue Aid Society, Bernard and uh, Bianca come, comes in. Then we see like the point of no return for Madame Medusa, where she sees mice and she starts shooting a shotgun <laughs> down in the cave and she doesn't care who will get hit she won't she doesn't even care who would get hit by the bullets i mean these are just mice and she's just shooting down there she could have hurt penny she could have killed penny and she even makes threats that she will kill penny several times and to even snoop so she she's really dedicated to the fact that she wants that devil's eye that she doesn't care who gets in the way or um who gets hurt trying to get that for her. So she is number one of the three villains right now. So it's Madame Medusa, then Edgar, then Prince John. Because <laughs> definitely, definitely she is probably the most evil so far. She, uh, she threatens this little girl for just a, a rock because she can't get down in a cave. She is just something else. So let's move on to the next film, The Fox and the Hound. So The Fox and the Hound came out in 1981 and it is about a orphaned fox who gets found by an owl called Big Mama and a sparrow and a woodpecker who help the little fox find a new home with a human uh, named Widow Tweed is an older woman that lives in the middle of nowhere in a shack who coincidentally lives right next to another curmudgeonly old neighbor who is also widowed called Amos Slade who is our antagonist here. Widow Tweed names her Fox Todd and tries to domesticate the animal while Amos Slade has a hunting dog named Chief and also bought a puppy the same age as Todd the Fox named Copper. Now this movie is a sweet movie about the 
Friendship of a Fox and a Hound, as the title says, but as things grow up, just like life, things get complicated and relationships kind of tend to drive apart the older that we get. And I think that's what they're trying to say, but I know it's based off of a novel with a deeper meaning to it, but that's what this movie kind of portrays. So the great divide in this friendship is the fact that one is a hound, a hunting dog, and the other is a fox, which is what Amos Slade, the, the widower, hunts. He likes to hunt. That is his hobby, and that's why he got two hunting dogs for. And he becomes the antagonist because Todd the fox tends to distract the hound. And after a big, long hunting trip, when when Amos comes back with Copper the hound, he's older he is wiser and he knows all the hunting tricks and he probably has hunted fox on that hunting trip and so things have changed and so the friendship kind of divides at that point and at one point Amos Slade gets so mad at the fox for hurting the older dog chief that he tries and goes hunting for the fox he ends up trying to go after Todd using copper to hunt him as well. And so that's where the big friendship division comes around because of the antagonist Amos, who is the hunter, because foxes are not supposed to be domesticated. Amos was teaching his hound dog to hunt, and friendships like that weren't going to last when one is supposed to be the hunted and the other is supposed to be the hunter. Amos is the villain of the story, but there's a lot of integral parts of why he becomes the villain of the story. At the beginning, you think he is because he's the hunter and Todd is a fox, but he is the actual villain. He teaches his dogs that he needs to hunt them, but there was also little bits and pieces of why Amos was mad, why Copper and Chief were upset, and why Todd was upset. There was a point where when Todd and Copper were playing, Chief gets hurt, which is actually caused by Todd, which makes Amos hate the fox and hate the widow, Tweed, for wanting to domesticate the fox. And she in turn realizes that it was Todd's fault. That's why she lets him go into the wild. But in the end, even though Copper has learned all his hunting techniques from Amos, who wants to hunt and wants nothing to do with that fox and probably ends up, wants to end up killing the fox because he is a hunted animal. In the end, after a vicious grizzly attack that almost ends Amos' life, Copper and Todd kind of save them. Towards the end of that, after the big fight, Amos was going to kill Todd, but Copper stands in the way to try to save Todd's life. Amos has some valid points of why he hates Todd. He's not really a villain. It's all about, like, circumstances. There is no big villain in this film, so even though Amos is the villain, he's not really up there on the ranking. He, he's probably below Prince John. He's on the very bottom because there is a reason why he does not like Todd. He almost lost a dog because of it. it Todd used to be just a nuisance. And I know he like shoots at Todd when he's like a little 
youngling i think foxes are called pups um he shoots in the air he doesn't like try to shoot him until the end because he thinks that todd had some involvement in the bear attack and so he wanted to get rid of him um he kind of has a reason to not like todd as i said before so unlike prince john who has no reason to be a bad king and to tax people other than wanting to be greedy. Amos does not have the greed. He just has that hunter instinct and he feels that it was Todd's fault that his other dog got hurt and he could have lost both dogs in the process. You know, dogs are a man's best friend so I can understand his anger. So that's why he is on the bottom. So the next film is 1985's The Black Cauldron, the cult favorite and the most ignored Disney film (laughs) or most talked about Disney film, depending on your stance, is probably the darkest Disney film of the whole catalog. It has a different animation style to it. It has a different story to it and it's just definitely dark. It is based off of a series of books, mostly the first two books by Lloyd Alexander's The Chronicles of Prydane. I hope I'm saying that right. It's part of a five book series so they they had a lot of content to work with and they still made it a little too dark for for family audiences in this one. The evil villain here is the Horned King. So the story goes in the very beginning. There used to be this horrible king that controlled the mystic land of Prydain. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that wrong. I haven't seen it in a long time, so that's why I'm pronouncing it incorrectly if I am. Um, So this king was so cruel and evil that even gods feared him. And since no prison could hold him, he was thrown alive into a crucible of molten iron. And when he died, his demonic spirit was imprisoned in this black cauldron. And that is what the Horn King has been looking for. Because if you possess the cauldron, you have all this power. So if you haven't seen uh, the Horn King, he is basically a skeleton creature. He has... A skull with sharp teeth and red glowing eyeballs and he has like antlers coming out of his robe hood and he's just very very creepy looking. So his whole goal is to acquire the black cauldron, to rule the world, to become a god, and to kill every human being. (laughs) Of course he never fails but I mean, of course, he never has this turn out for him because the heroes win the day. This guy, for villain-wise, he is pretty up there. He is another greedy villain who just wants everything and anything power to become the ruler and just to get rid of everything that just made his life miserable which are the human beings. So I'm wondering why he would just want to kill everything. Like then he would be the only thing left. I I, I don't know. I I don't get the, the evil villain plans half the time. 
an interesting tidbit the the look of the horn king is supposed to be a mashup of chernabog from fantasia and maleficent from sleeping beauty and i can definitely see it and they kind of have both those personalities meshed up with this with this character <laughs> Like, with the Maleficent side, he wants everybody to suffer. or And with Chernabog, he just wants to be, like, an evil ruler and control things. <laughs> so, even villain-wise in the ranking, he just kind of has this standard villain trope of, I want to rule all, I am greedy, I just want everything. Let's see, so his so his crimes are kidnapping Princess Eloise and the pig Henwin to get the black cauldron so he will do anything to get what he wants just like uh edgar and madame medusa here he he does a lot of commands to his hench people to do a lot of work for him so he's just kind of like a prince john character where he just tries to get everything everybody to do things for him so he just has like this creepy factor. He looks really scary. He looks like something from my nightmares. He is greedy like every other villain here. He is obsessed with trying to gain the power from the Black Cauldron. Uh, he makes everybody else do bidding for him. And in the end, he gets foiled by Taran, who cleverly tra- gets the Horn King trapped into the Black Cauldron. Uh, where he dies. He he doesn't really do much for his plan to rule the world. He just tries to get to the Black Cauldron, but every little plan that he has kind of fails. So in turn, he kind of fails at a, as a villain. He just has that creepy vibe. So let's see. He... I guess he would be under Edgar then, and then above Prince John, so it would be Madame Medusa, then Edgar, then the Horn King. Even like I feel kind of bad putting him in third because he's so creepy looking and he looks like he could do a lot of damage, but he doesn't actually do anything, do much. I mean, he kidnaps and threatens, but um, as opposed to Edgar, who thinks he actually killed cats by shoving them into a bag. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just like, it's apples to oranges here, but I think he's he's under Edgar in the um, ranks of villains here. So let, let's move on to the next film. So the next film is the 1986 uh, Disney animated film, The Great Mouse Detective. This is another movie I haven't seen in a long time. But from what I remember, it's kind of like a nod to Sherlock Holmes, but with rats or mice. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is about a toy maker that has been kidnapped by the evil Professor Radigan. The the mice around him, uh, specifically the toy maker's daughter goes in search for Basil of Baker Street, who is a world-famous detective, who is like our Sherlock Holmes, to go find Radigan, find this toy maker, Hiram, uh, again. Of course, the antagonist here is Radigan, who actually does not kidnap Hiram, the toy maker. He actually sends his henchman, who is a bat, who kidnapped the toy maker. And the reason why he wants 
to kidnap this toy maker is because he plans to take over London by replacing the queen with a robotic copy of the queen. <laughs> so he has big plans. He he has a quest for power, just like the Horn King, and he uses a lot of henchmen to do his work. Just like Prince John and just like the Horn King. So he has that villain trope going on for him. He has the power. He uses that power to to get what he wants. And what he wants is to take over London. He has another villain trope where he gets angry very fast. And he has a huge temper, just like Madame Medusa here. Uh hear him the toy maker refuses to help him and through a fit of rage he threatens to hurt his Hiram's daughter and which makes Hiram go back to work on working this on on trying to make this robotic fake that he has so he has Radigan has a temper so he has the power and he has a temper which usually is the the um folly for most of these villains is that they either become too powerful or too angry that lose their head and ultimately fail in the end radigan unlike most of the other villains in this list is is smarter than most of them he actually had this plan to take to take over London by making a queen copy by using a toy maker, which is actually pretty smart. I mean, if a rat wants to take control of London, uh, this is probably the best way, and it's smart. It's just he kind of fails in the end because he loses his cool. But he actually almost gets pretty far with his plan of trying to rule London as the robot queen and then naming himself as the royal consort through the the robot queen's body, which is actually pretty uh, interesting. But then he, he actually shows us how tyrannical he is by... Uh, saying that he wants to have a heavy tax policy and he is calling the elderly, the sick, and even children parasites. So he is actually really ruthless, um, just like Madame Medusa. And he kind of gets cocky towards the end and his anger gets a hold of him in that last fight with Basil or Basil, which he falls to his death in the end. Uh, he gets really, really close to getting his goal, and he's very ruthless, and he's very smart, so he is a big contender. I I feel like he is probably higher than Madame Medusa now because he he has the brains, he has the strength, and he had the power to complete most of his goals. Um, he just kind of let his anger get the best of him in the end and he could have gotten away with it if it weren't for those kids, <laughs> those meddling mice. He is number one on the list. There goes Radigan, Madame Medusa, then Edgar, then the Horn King, Prince John, and then Amos from Fox and the Hound. So let's go to our last film of the Dark Era before we get into the Renaissance Era, which we've already done, and that is Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company is based off of Oliver Twist, um, but very completely different. They just have the same names. It's just a little different. Oliver here is a cat, an orphan cat, 
and he is trying to make his way in the world and runs into Dodger, who is voiced by Billy Joel. Dodger is part of a bigger group of other dogs who is ran by a homeless human named Fagin, uh, who kind of has the dog steal for him so he can get money so he can pay off his boss, Sykes, who is the villain. Sykes is actually a really bad villain here. He is actually a lone shark and he's trying to get Fagin to pay back his loan. So we got a money hungry type of boss, but he never actually shows it. He's just basically doing his job. But that's not where the evil part is. It's mostly when Jenny, who is the new owner of Oliver, uh, loses Oliver and Fagin tries to come up with a kidnapping to get money from her because he finds out that Jenny is part of a rich family. And when Fagin finds out it's just a little girl, he doesn't really come clean that he is the person that kidnapped her and just basically lets her go. But Sykes finds out about the little girl and kidnaps her into getting his money because he finds out that she is rich. So here is the money hung hunger that comes out in Sykes. In the beginning, he's just a loan shark. He does his job. He's very scary to Fagin. Fagin is, is scared of him, but he shows his true colors when he finds out that Jenny is a rich little kid and he tries to use her as means of getting money for himself. So he ends up kidnapping Jenny and ties her to a chair and tries to sick her his Doberman dogs at her and he he kind of says that he wants to feed her to his dogs threatening her to try to get his, her parents to pay attention or try to scare her more to get more money out of the parents. So he's kind of ruthless and, and he doesn't care that he's scaring or possibly hurting this girl to get more money out of the rich parents. So he's kind, he's very cruel. And when Fagin and his dogs, along with Oliver, try to save Jenny he he looks like he doesn't care who gets in his way because he he has like this fire axe and he's just swinging away and he's he's chasing after Fagin and the dogs and Jenny on this uh train tracks or subway tracks I can't remember which has a one track mind you you think he's like such a cool and collective villain in the beginning but he just kind of loses control and he's so obsessed with trying to get Jenny to be part of his his plan to get more money. So he, he's a very determined, but very obsessed. And ultimately, his obsession ends up killing him and how he fails. We don't really see his villain nature until the end. It's kind of cool and collective, like I said. So he's kind of pretty low are mid-tier on the list because he doesn't care that he is going to hurt this girl or he has no qualms about kidnapping a girl just to get more money. But we all seem to see a pattern going on here with all the villains and their greediness with money or power. Alright, so the current ranking is Radigan, Madame Medusa, Edgar, then Sykes, then Horned King, 
then Prince John, and then finally last there is Amos. Unlike the other Disney eras, these villains kind of all had something in common. They all kind of had uh, obsessive nature about them. Most of them, it was obsessive about money or power, uh, except for Amos. I think Amos is completely different than the rest of them. It's more of a natural villain, I guess, if you would call him a villain. But all the villains kind of had a... a obsessive nature, had anger problems, and they kind of fell down the same villain trope, all but Amos from The Fox and the Hound. So do you agree with my list of who the top villain is here in the Dark Era? Is Radigan the ultimate villain uh, out of all of these movies? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies that I counted. There's actually eight in this era, but do you agree with with my ranking? Do you not agree? Do you think somebody else should be on top and should be a contender against the other top villains of the different eras? Please let me know. Um, I would like to hear what you think. Uh, I would love to hear a an argument against Radigan because I think... He is possibly the the best and uh, worst, (laughs) if you can say that, the best and worst villain of this era because he is smart. He almost completes his plan. He, even though he does have an anger issue and power issue, it doesn't really get him until the end. I mean, that's how it always goes, but um, Madame Medusa, as crazy and evil as she was, she was kind of like that the entire time. (laughs) <laughs> while Radigan was kind of cool collective until things were kind of not going his way anymore. So uh, I, I would just love to know what you think and what you think of this kind of villain series that I have going on. Uh, next, we would probably do the post-Renaissance era, or I could have another guest on to talk to me about another era. We have the post-Renaissance, we have the re- revival, and then the current era that we are going in right now, which I'm going to be calling the sequel era, <laughs> because we have Ralph Breaks the Internet and Frozen 2 a part of it, and of course, whatever comes next, we know that a Zootopia 2 is coming up, so that's why I'm calling it the sequel era. So if you would like to discuss post-Renaissance or Revival, please let me know. I'll have you on. And we can just discuss the villains of that era. And then finally, I will have an ultimate villain episode where I discuss or bring guests on, a guest or guests on to discuss who is the ultimate villain based on how, based on their events of their own movie. Let me know uh, what you think of that. Or if if you do not like this series, please let me know. Um, any feedback is good feedback to me. <laughs> so last week, I kind of dropped the trivia question section of the podcast and asked you which Disney origin story you liked from the last episode, or if you wanted me to bring on more Disney origin stories to discuss. What I wanted to do when I first started this podcast is to do, is to start a discussion with you, the listeners, to become part of the show and give your input on the show, whether it was just a trivia question or an answer to a question I asked. 
I understand that I am a fairly new podcast, so maybe it isn't the right time to bring in a trivia question each week. So I'm going to drop the trivia question altogether because I am also changing and evolving here, and I will still continue to ask a final question at the end of each podcast, referring to the topic, of course. Um, If you want to contribute, you can. Be sure to let me know what you thought of today's topic, and or don't be afraid to give me feedback or comments to past episodes. I will read them, and I will bring them up in the next episode, of course. So if you have a question, correction, or comment, or if you want to be a guest on Once I Watched a Disney series, you can contact me through Twitter at DisflixTidbit or email me at DisflixAndTidbits at gmail.com. I am also on Instagram under DisflixTidbits. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and now on Spotify and TuneIn. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider leaving me a review on iTunes. Any review will do, just so I know that you're listening. You can also help by retweeting the most recent episode on Twitter or DMing me feedback at Tidbit, or possibly buying one of my Disney snack t-shirts on TeePublic, which will just help the podcast stay afloat. I do have a couple new items in the Tee Public shop under Disflix and Tidbits. Just search for that name. I had a Captain Marvel sticker and another snack t-shirt design based on Disney popcorn buckets on there, so please check it out. And finally, if you want to continue or start a conversation about movies, I have a Facebook group called Disflix and Talk. And with that, please don't forget, it all started with a mouse.